Skippy, Peter, do, 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 do. The review podcast, yeah. Bow, bow. All right. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the review podcast, podcast where we review movies, we watch them, then we talk about them, and we are here compiling a list of our top 100 movies of all time. So far, that list includes Halloween 1978. Jurassic Park, and The Lost World. Jurassic Park. Both of our lists both include those movies. We've given some honorable mentions in the past. However, I don't remember what they are. Honorable mention to Halloween 3. Halloween 3. And did we give an honorable... I don't think I gave an honorable mention to Jurassic Park last week. I can't remember. No, we gave a dishonorable mention to Halloween 6. And Yes, we gave a dishonorable mention to Halloween 6. Although this one... <laughs> <laughs> this one might be up in the running. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, hi, I am Anthony. And I'm Bree. And uh, we are happy to have everybody here listening to the smooth sounds of the Review Podcast. We've been you know, messing with the audio recently, so it might sound a little bit different around here. Um, I think that when... So we got new mics like a couple weeks back, and I was still messing with a little unveiling of the curtain so to speak um i was using these blue yeti mics and blue yeti mics pick up volume from all different directions so i switched over to mics that pick up direction only when you're speaking like straight to them and it seems to be working out a little bit better so i was listening to the podcast yesterday um and i was noticing like this condensed noise like it sounded like compressed noise and i was like oh it sounds like you're underwater listening to the podcast so i tried to figure out ways to change that and i really all we did in our uh little studio and how we record our audio is i just kind of took all the filters off of the uh off of the audio because i originally had the filters on there to ensure that my mic and Bree's mics, like we weren't picking up each other's voices, and it's still kind of happening. Like I can see it on the little die, like the uh, the little green, but yellow, and red so bars. Small. But it's happening so small to the point of um, sorry for coughing. Yeah, the mics totally can pick that up now. Um, so uh, it's happening slightly, but I don't think it's enough to interrupt the broadcast. And we're just gonna test it out and see what happens. You know, we're still new to this whole podcasting thing, so we're figuring it out. Um, how you feeling, Brie? I'm feeling good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. You know, we, as, wa- we watched the movie. As good as I could be. You know? Yeah, as good as we could be. We watched the movie last night and we finished it so early or so late that we were like, oh, let's just record the podcast. By the time we got recording, it'd be the next day. Right. We're so like, we were let's like, just nah. go to sleep and we'll <laughs> record the podcast in the morning. So it's about 9.45, uh, 9.48 a.m. Uh, where we are. And we're sitting here with our, uh, Brie's got her chai her chai latte, and I've got my coffee fee. That's Bree's treat today. Good chai. Good chai. If you like spicy things, um, chai is the best. Spicy is in lots of spices. Right. Um, I got my chai concentrate from Aldi. We are not sponsored by Aldi. Well, but we would love one. I know, right? Aldi, hello. Um, you get the chai concentrate. You shake it before you open it. Pour, put some ice in a cup if you're doing it the cold way, which the cold way is the only way to do it. And then you pour about halfway with the concentrate, and then the other half is vanilla um, oat milk 
because your girls lactose intolerant. Yeah, we try to be healthy here on the Review Podcast with our oat milk. <laughs> no, we're Would trying not to oat? explode. Hey, Brie. What? What oat did you milk to get that milk? How you how you get oat milk? Oh, ain't got no titties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here drinking my coffee. I uh, have my French vanilla uh, creamer and my sweetener in there. My one sweet and low packet. Blech. Um, I like my coffee sweet. I was just talking to my friends about this because one of my friends just started drinking coffee and we were talking, ooh, that's lip smack probably picked up. Oh, <laughs> um, so we were talking about how we like our coffee. He was like, how do you like your coffee? And one of my friends was like, I like my coffee just black, just straight. And I was like, that's disgusting. That's I drink bitter. black I, coffee. I can't do I know you do that because you're an absolute freak. I can't do that. Well, because I've started like having adverse reactions to the amount of dairy I'm eating in a day. Oh yeah, I'm, and th- and then you like just ate yogurt. Like you you pick your battles. I with pick that. my. I'm like if I'm if I'm going to have one dairy item, then I can't have another dairy. I, I couldn't do coffee with dairy creamer and have yogurt. What do you want me to explode? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, ooh, yeah. But I got um. Another place that you should sponsor me went to Cuppy's Bakery. In is that a local place? Yeah, or? in Villa Park. I oh. think it's it's probably that's where my sister. So our is. our viewers or our listeners that live all the way in like Asia, what the like, fuck is Cuppy's? <laughs> well, it's like a little local bakery, and I love local bakeries compared to like the like the nicer like bit local bakeries. If I can get a scone for a dollar. And a donut for like 25 cents, that's the bakery I want to go to. All the bakeries around us, it's like $2 for a scone or $3 for a scone. What is a scone? A scone is just like this delicious pastry. I had yesterday, the scone I had was orange cranberry. Today, the one that I picked yesterday and brought home to have today this morning is blueberry. So do you just put preserves in a scone? No, it's like actual fruit. Oh, Oh, can you have a chocolate scone? Yes. Oh, interesting. I want to take you to Cuppies. It's but they sell out so fast. My sister was like, "You have to be there early in the morning. You're not gonna get anything from Cuppies." They their ovens um broke, and they raised limited scones sixty thousand dollars to get new ovens in two days. Just from people that love Cuppies. Yeah. Damn. They're like a, they're beloved. Yeah. So if you're ever in like the Villa Parkish area and you want a really good pastry, you can check out Cuppies. They, um, they open, you want to be there first in line if you want anything good. But even when you go around noon, that when we went, there's still some scones, still some donuts. Um, and they have some stuff in the back that if you really ask, like, do you like have what? This, like they had more scones in the back. Oh. They didn't put them all out. I thought you were going to say like. If you really like, if you want something that's like not in the menu, like a uh, what is the new McDonald's hacked menu? It's, you buy two sandwiches and then you have to put it together yourself. Don't be like that one guy who's like, if I wanted two sandwiches, I would have ordered two sandwiches. It's like <laughs> you did, dude. Like that, the menu hack is like you have to make it yourself. But anyway, my sister goes to Cuppies like every weekend. Wow. Um, they're they're beloved. Um, she gets the donut holes. Like the wait. Cuppies has donuts. 
Yeah, Cubby's has donuts. Like oh. homemade donuts. Like we got to go one weekend mm-hmm. because Anthony will go crazy. We'll buy a bunch of donuts and it'll be like less than $10. Powdered donuts make me go nuts. <laughs> but if you're ever in that area, like Cuppies is really good. Um, I had two scones. So is Breeze Treat today a Cuppy? I think Breeze like treats is morphing into this other thing where it's like, what's really good? Are there some yeah, restaurants like, <laughs> that are really good? Nothing related to the movie at all. No. Like nowhere in Halloween. I don't think anybody eats a donut in Halloween H2O at well, all. first of all. Well, they go to a hamburger place. This isn't H2O. Oh, Rob shoot. Zombies. Robert Zombert's Halloween. <laughs> um, well, this movie sucks. So. <laughs> well, I mean, we're not here to pass judgment. Um, they don't. Do they even eat? In the movie, uh, cereal maybe. Yes. Yeah, uh, Judith Myers eats cereal, and Michael eats candy corn. What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> cereal and candy corn cereal. Candy corn cereal. Mm, well, no, delicious. she's making eggs, and then Judith is. I like, had eggs this morning. I she love eggs. she's like, I'm gonna have this sugary cereal, and Sherry Moon Zombie's like, I don't you know it's gonna fucking rot your brain or like everything's everything in this movie is just f word and i listen and let's get into it listen (laughs) general thoughts well first of all brie i have to ask you a question because we've already gone through the breeze treat today yeah inadvertently um what horrifies you what horrifies me (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i know i think i know what you're gonna say you smart ass (laughs) What what am I gonna say? Uh, I thought you were gonna say this movie <laughs> horrifies the me. way this movie's made. I think vo- like um, unnecessary vulgarity horrifies me. This uh, this just turned into Billy Graham's evangelical movie review podcast because we're not very like conservative. No, but I don't like vulgarity as much as. But so I looked at Bree and I was just like. It was like 10 minutes into the beginning of the movie. I don't like things that are vulgar for the sake of just being vulgar. That's what I said. I'm like, this is vulgarity just to be vulgar. Like, I don't know. Some movies are able to play it off differently from one another. It's different than like, okay. Like The Devil's Rejects, I, Rob Zombie's master, his, opa, his magnum opus, um, which is great. I love The Devil's Rejects. It's supposed to be like that it's meant to be dirty and gross and trailer trashy and um like vulgar for the sake of being vulgar like that that was the essence of the movie that's what makes that movie what it is but for a halloween movie uh, we'll we'll get into it because there's like some gripes i have there's a lot of gripes yeah i told you man just wait till we get into robert zombert's halloween 2007 i don't think this was your your time <laughs> no i don't i don't think so well yeah general thoughts we'll get into it okay. um have you seen the poster for this movie no so the poster for this movie is like a, a yellow or no uh god my colors it's an orange and black background like the halloween colors and it's like a bunch of pictures of michael myers childhood and it all makes the mask and michael myers is like in front of it and I thought it was a kind of a cool poster. At least it's not Scream. I know. Like the past few have been. Um, I am was constantly thinking about when we were re-watching this movie, reviewing it. Um, oh, yeah. Use the trade. No, I know. The non-trademarked trademark. Review. Um, 
I was thinking, I'm like, man, the last time I watched this, I, I mean, it was okay. I think the last time we watched this movie was in college when we were going through the franchise, but I had just gotten sick. I think I had uh, like strep throat at the time, so I went to the campus uh, medical place, like campus services, and I got these antibiotics, and the antibiotics, there were two of them. One of them was supposed to like make my throat better, and the other one made me really sleepy and drowsy, and I think I fell asleep. <laughs> during this movie um the first time we watched i've seen i've seen it before but uh the first time we watched it together in college i think i fell asleep during it and then i woke up the next morning with like rashes all over <gasps> I that was remember because mm-hmm, i had to that was help that you with your ra- he accused me i accused no um, i didn't accuse i asked i he asked. accused me so, of having time. bed bugs no no because no because no. he woke up with a bunch of rashes no, all no, over no. and i said anthony i'm fine i don't have a rash anywhere this man can the, i tell the story the, it's my body the absolute gall of this <laughs> it's, man it's my body um so i woke up i took the i had an adverse reaction to one of the antibiotics that was given to me because of whatever sickness that i had and i woke up with like r- like a rash all o- it started in my hands and then it worked its way up my arms and it was eventually on on my neck and on my face by midday um but i i was like freaking out i didn't know what was going on with it so i looked at thing and i text brie because i was going to student teach at the time and i walked from her apartment back to i lived in a frat house at the time i walked back to the house to change and to shower and everything and I noticed it and I texted her. I'm like, are you sure that you don't have like bed bugs? Because I woke up with these and it looks like bed bug bites. And she got really mad at me. And she's like, oh, the, who are you to assume that I have bed bugs? And you basically told me to go fuck myself. And I said, okay. And then went on with the rest of my day. The rash got worse. And then I went back to the medical services. And I was just like, I have no idea what's happening. Like, am I dying? And they're like, no, you're just having an allergic reaction to the antibiotic that we gave you. Like, take this antihistamine and you'll be fine. So, like, the antihistamine and the rash went away. And I am now beautiful. I'm I'm a beautiful person, Brie. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was the first time I we had watched that movie together. So... Why don't we start by going through a little bit of behind the scenes? And I didn't write anything down because I forgot. Um, But I'm going to try to go based off of memory and what I remember from that book, Taking Shape, by Dustin McNeil um, and the other author, Travis Mullins. Yes, uh, nailed it. So Halloween made in 2007 releases, I believe, in August of 2007, written and directed by our boy Rob Zombie, also known to us in the Review Podcast as Robert Zombert. Uh, Rob Zombie writes and directs his remake of Halloween. Now, before this movie was made, we left off with Halloween Resurrection in 2002. And that movie does atrociously and is critically panned and is not 
very welcomed by the wider Halloween community. So they take some time to recalibrate and they try to figure out where do we want to go with the franchise. And there's a lot of different ideas on what to do moving forward. A lot of these ideas we're going to talk about in greater detail on a later episode of the podcast. There's ideas about Michael being on death row and like the trial of Michael Myers. There's ideas of having a direct continuation from Halloween 2 and going back to the drawing board. There's um there's so there's a I think you'll like this one. There is a idea out there that we'll talk about more on our last episode of the Halloween mini series that we're doing where they tried to make a movie that enta- it was a, supposed to be a three-part movie uh three-part series a trilogy of Halloween movies which had Michael Myers being possessed by a demon and you know the demon's name Bree What was it You know the demon's, demon's name? name you want to take a guess on the demon's name Sam Hain S A M space. Oh my Hain. god! <laughs> Throw me Sam Hain. Sawin. No, the name was Sam space Hain. H A I N. This because they're like, oh, it's from the ancient Halloween. Uh, the Druids. The Druids. It's Sawin. It's pronounced Sawin. We've gone over this already. The only one Samhain. to get it right. The only one to get it right was the dude from Halloween three. He was the only one to pronounce it right in the entirety of the franchise. And that's frustrating. Oh, yeah. That's why it gets honorable mention. Because yeah, they pronounce Salwin correctly. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving forward. Um, Rob Zombie at this point is coming off of two movies. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. I believe Devil's Rejects comes out in 2005. And we've seen both. I, I House of a Thousand Corpses is weird. Like, I would love to review it on the podcast eventually, but it's a weird flick. Um, Rob Zombie you know, directed some music videos in the past. Rob Zombie is a music dude. He comes from a music background. You can tell when he's directing things. You can tell in House of a Thousand Corpses, like, he's directing it like a very long, extended Rob Zombie music video. The Devil's Rejects, on the other hand, is... I think Rob Zombie learned a lot about filmmaking before he made that movie because it's like I would go on out on a limb and say The Devil's Rejects is a beautiful film and it's beautiful in its vulgarity in its grossness in its um, its horribleness. But I think Rob Zombie had a very clear idea of what he wanted to do and what he wanted to get across in that movie. And he was very successful at it. So everybody looks at The Devil's Rejects and says, wow, this is almost a reinvention of horror. Just as Halloween 1978 was a reinvention of horror. Scream in 1996 is a reinvention of horror. Maybe Rob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects is this new brand of horror that we're moving towards as as a society. Where we want, we're moving away from the meta-ness, we're moving away from the quietness of scary movies, and what's scary to us now are things that can actually happen to us, and things that are gross and nasty and, like, trashy a little bit. So we start getting all of these movies around this time that are kind of in the mold of that idea. We get, like, Saw, right? Like, Saw's gross torture. 
we get hostile. We get a lot of these. But I would say Saw, because Saw has about like a special place in my heart. I love the Saw franchise. I think Saw is more palatable than this movie. Than Halloween? Yeah, this ver- this iteration of Halloween. I mm-hmm. feel like Saw, because you go into Halloween and there's an expectation of like what you're going to see. When you walk when you walk into a Saw movie, you know you're going to see. And when you walk brutal. into a Rob Zombie movie, I feel like you have an idea of what you're going to see, which is just trash. That's Good old fashioned. But I just I I did I guess like well let's let's get into it and then we can yeah so start talking. Rob Zombie is hired by I want to say Demen Demen no Dimension doesn't own Halloween at this time um I don't remember but Rob Zombie is hired and Rob Zombie in his past has been very critical of remakes. And he's saying, why would I ever want to remake a movie? Like, remakes are the lowest of the low. Like, I want to make an original movie. But yet he comes on board to remake Halloween. John Carpenter does not approve. John Carpenter has historically disapproved Rob Zombie. And they've gone back and forth about how much uh, Carpenter just did not like this version of, uh, of the film. So... Zombie makes Halloween and he has the condition that he would write and direct it and Rob Zombie um, in interviews after the movie was made and came out said, I never want to do anything like this again. He said it was just brutal going into it and like wanting to do something and then consistently getting notes back from the studio and then having to change things and having to work with the studio super close. So this is really the last time Rob Zombie makes like a studio movie. If you think about Rob Zombie's catalog of movies a little bit later on, what do we get, Brie? Think about it. Like we get Halloween in 2007. We get the sequel in 2009. And then he takes a little bit of a break and he does an independent film, like kind of financed independently called The Lords of Salem. And then he does a cartoon movie. And then he does... uh shoot 13 is that the one that he does later and then he does three from hell but none of them have had wide releases in theater they're not studio films so you can tell rob zombie really had a horrible time making this movie and dealing with the studio because he kind of disavowed studio films after this um and i like rob zombie i i Bri, what did i tell you yesterday about rob zombie i after, don't remember after we were done i said some people have their ideas of like, God, I really love, but I also really hate this director. Like, I just can't understand this director. For a lot of people, it might be like a Michael Bay. For me, it's a Rob Zombie. Like, I just don't get Rob Zombie. I want to get Rob Zombie. And I kind of like Rob Zombie, but then he makes decisions like he made in Halloween where I'm like, did you understand the characters? (laughs) Like, did you get what was going on here? Yeah, I feel like this is a... I just didn't know what I was doing. I feel like he wanted to make his own movie, but was shackled by some of these characters and where he had to go with it. Because as we're going to watch later tonight, Brie, um, Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, is like a traditional Rob Zombie movie. It's a weird flick. But I think... I think the criticism here for Rob Zombie, and especially the criticism that um, 
he's gotten post movie is that he he didn't understand the characters. Would you agree? I would agree. I don't think he understood the characters. I I there were I multiple times sev- where several times where I'm like, I don't think this character would have behaved this way. Yeah, I don't think this character would have behaved that way. So. Hmm. So. That's a little bit of the um, the behind the scenes in the book taking shape. I, I think one of my bigger criticisms of that book and kind of my own personal bias is that the writers are um, kind of apologists for Rob Zombie. They they sympathize with Rob Zombie just as they sympathize with Rick Rosenthal a little bit where they're like, this is these this is not his world. These are characters that he has to use in his own world. So. I think that the writers, and I'm, I don't want to be like super inflammatory. I think they're very much sympathetic to Rob Zombie, and I disagree with that. I think you need to give Rob Zombie the criticism of what he's done to this franchise and how he didn't understand the characters. Definitely. The, the, um, the writers, I think in the book at one point, say, you know, it's not that Rob Zombie didn't understand the characters, is that he wanted to do something completely different with the characters, where John Carpenter zigged, Rob Zombie zagged, you know? But isn't that like that's being so lame stupid. on purpose? That is being lame on purpose, and that's being like intentionally contrarian on purpose for no good reason, just because you want to be unique and you want to be different. And I just disagree with that philosophy, and I don't think that that works here. Um, so why don't we get down to it, Bree? And why don't we get down to everything that makes Halloween 2007 the Robert Sombert film of our dreams? Opening in the movie, we have a quote from a fictional doctor. From a fictional doctor, a quote from Sam Loomis, and I don't remember what it was. Something about like something black eyes, black, yeah, Doctor Loomis stuff, where it's like. Hey, uh, he sees past the wall and to the abyss and the silence of uh, despair or whatever the hell it said. Um, but then they attribute it to Sam Loomis. And I'm like, when did he say that? Like, usually when you start a movie with a quote, it's like by a historical person and you can like kind of trace the quote back. Like if I Googled the quote, I'd be able to find it. But I'm like, so we are remaking Halloween and we're starting from scratch, essentially. So when we get a quote from Sam Loomis, I have to start in mind with, who the fuck is Sam Loomis? <laughs> like, I have to start on a blank slate. I can't remember any of these characters if I'm going to go into this as it is a remake. So my first thought is, well, who's that? I who know, is but Sam you Loomis? know who that is. I know. You've seen the movie. I'm just don't, saying. Don't play dumb. I'm Well, I have to play dumb. Rob Zombie, I have to play dumb with Rob Zombie because this is a remake and you're quoting a fictional, like a character from your movie that we haven't met yet. So I'm just confused a little bit. Um, There's no year. It says Halloween. I think that they did that to be a little bit ambiguous as to when this this is supposed to take place because original flashback of Halloween is in like the 1960s, right? Or like, yeah, I think it's in the early 60s. It's got to be. Because then they shift later and it's 1978. But in this movie, we don't get a year. But everything looks like it's in the 70s. Everyone looks gross and greasy. And then 
But we have to have a conversation about that, too, because, like, we weren't alive in the... I have to assume that this is in the 70s, although when we go into, like, the actual, like, present-day remake of Halloween, it then looks like it's modern day, right? Like, most things look like it's... But I don't know, because people have, like... They dress in a way where it's, like, you don't know if this is the 70s, you don't know if this is modern day. Like, the girls look like they're from modern day right but then like all these side characters look like they're from the 70s and it's just weird yeah and so we don't know chronologically ambiguous oh yeah we don't know when this when this is going on we have um rats at the beginning Um, one rat elvis elvis the rat i said kids talking to the rat Michael has an affinity for rats. Loves rats. He loves to love them, loves to kill them, loves to eat them. Yep. And that's Mm-mm-mm. that's what we've learned. Rats. Yeah. Um, I first thing I noted was this is a white trash family. And Rob Zombie loves it. White Ro- trash. Rob Zombie's thing is white trash. Um, which I don't think white trash fits the fictional town of Haddonfield. No, because it's like a Haddonfield's affluent be, area. Well, I don't know about affluent, well, but like middle, like middle class. class, definitely. So it's like, how did this trailer trash family? Well, apparently they have a pool in the back of their house too, because later on, when they're at the Myers house, there's an empty pool. So, like, how wealthy is this family? Because what? So. Michael's mother. I mean, they could be renting. They could be renting. But let's think of this family dynamic that's going. I hate that we're looking into this as deeply as we are. But let's think of this family dynamic that's going on. You have Michael's mom and Michael's mom works as a stripper, a stripper. She's a stripper. So you got to believe that she's not bringing in tons of money. I mean, no, she's not. Yeah. I would have to imagine that they're living in some sort of version of poverty, Rob Zombie's version of poverty, um, where she's not bringing in tons of money, and she's with this guy, Ronnie, and Who's Ronnie disabled. is disabled. Yeah, and maybe I think we're supposed to get the impression that he's on like workers' comp, maybe, and he's or getting a disability. Yeah, working in disability. Uh, and he's kind of, I have to imagine that he is supporting the Myers family because I, why else would she be with him? I mean, maybe it's his house. You know? Maybe it is his house. I don't know. There's so many like gray areas and things that I just don't, I just don't get. I thought this family makes me uncomfy. Like, and I, but you're supposed to get that feeling. I yeah. Think. I'm like, this family just makes me uncomfortable. I feel like if you would be comfortable with that family dynamic, then, I mean, something's got to be wrong, right? <laughs> I, I, I guess I just don't agree with Rob Zombie's notion of, well, if we're doing a prequel and we got to talk about how Michael Myers becomes Michael Myers, well, how does any kid end up to be, you know, a killer or have psychological issues? Well, they grow up in a largely dysfunctional family. I it, it's, uh, I just don't. Uh, it's an unoriginal. I don't know. I I just said you know like when his sister comes down, Judith Myers comes down because mom's well, making breakfast. Well, can we back up a second? No. And, 
<laughs> no. Um, can we back up a second and talk about some of this Rob Zombie dialogue that's going on between Mama Myers and Ronnie? I prefer not to say the word. We're not going to say anything, uh, but like Rob Zombie loves writing dialogue that is so crazy, like creatively vulgar, where the arguing back and forth is not how people argue back and forth. Like nobody says, I I don't want to repeat it. Like, I just don't want to, but you can watch the movie. You'll know what I'm talking about. It's so crazy and creatively vulgar that it can only be written in a Rob Zombie movie. Like nobody talks this way. Rob Zombie's dialogue is all fucks and shits for the sake of having fucks and shits. And I looked at Brie. I was like, this is gross. I'm not like conservative in the slightest, but even I was like, this just, this would be fine for any other Rob Zombie movie, but not this one. I just don't think it's cool here. You know I what just, I mean? Like, I, I said like, this is like wanting to get a reaction out of us. And I'm like, but this isn't the movie to get this reaction. And Rob me. Zombie, from my knowledge and from, I think what the book says, like he fought for some of this dialogue. And he fought for some of the stuff to play out in the movie the way it played out. Rob Zombie is what I think he loves most about, I think what he had fun with the most, and this is just my theory, but I think what he had the most fun with in this movie was writing all of the side characters. But do you think, here, this me going off on a... Go ahead. Like a little tangent. Oh, go, go, you go, girl. Do Do you think that the movie would have been better if Rob Zombie could have done all the things he wanted, he didn't have to listen to what the studio wanted as well. Well, that's where Halloween 2 comes in. Because, like, sometimes you're like, oh, this is a, this movie I didn't like. It was bad. But it's like, is it bad because he wrote a bad movie? Or is it bad because he wrote a movie, the studio looked at it, fixed what they wanted to fix, and then the result was a bad movie? And then he just dribbled coffee on oh, his I chin. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I was like, oh, he gonna make himself, he gonna mess himself up. He's making a mess. To answer your question, what was your question? I was dribbling I was coffee like, on is myself. It, <laughs> is it bad because he made, he wrote a movie and it was just a bad movie? Or is it mad because, bad because he wrote a movie, the studio took it, said, nope, 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 nope. I think, and, I think Rob Zombie was shackled to Halloween. And I think Rob Zombie wanted to make a Halloween movie, but he didn't want to make a remake. And I think Rob Zombie had his own vision for what Michael Myers and what Halloween should be, which is a little bit more grounded, a little less supernatural, a little bit more... uh, Rob Rob Zombie is often considered, oh, I'm going to go into my musical uh, critic uh, persona and... I'm going to say Rob Zombie has often been considered to be in the genre of rockabilly. (laughs) Rockabilly. So I think he wants it to be a little bit more rockabilly. And I think it's just that grossness, that grindhouse feel. Have you, you've seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, correct? Like it's a weird movie. It's not what people often remember what the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. It's like chaotic and it's, I often say like watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like watching a documentary that you would watch in like a biology class, like a science film about it's just weird. It's gross and it you just feel dirty watching it. 
Devil's Rejects is like that, where you almost feel like you have to take a shower after watching it because it's like, ugh, I just feel gross after watching that movie. But I think Rob Zombie wanted that feel in the Halloween franchise, and I just don't think he got it. Because that's not what it is, mm-hmm. right? So I think how I think he wanted to make a Halloween movie in his own vision, but he was shackled to the idea of, well, I got to remake it. So that's why we essentially get two movies in yeah. this. Or this first half of the movie is just like the prequel to like what makes Michael tick, and you see Michael he's playing with his rat Elvis. I have to. You I don't really trust. You. you watch the other movies. You don't really trust Michael with any sort of. Animal, right, especially hand. a rat. Especially a rat. We know That's his history. His, it's his favorite. Snacky. I have a question for you. Yes. Do you think that we should have? Do you think it was necessary to have this prequel? Absolutely portion? not. No. Why? Um. Because this, the second half of the movie, and you agreed, it's when we get into like the actual. Like move like second half of the movie where it's like Michael is actually out and about and stuff. It's so fast paced. It's because quick. you spent so much time on this prequel stuff, mm-hmm. and we really we really didn't need, especially like the ending part of the sequ- the prequel stuff where he's in the hospital. Where it's like this is we don't need this. Well, do you? Because I think that the Halloween movies often try to explore like what makes Michael tick, and you know is. Is he uh, possessed by a, a druid cult? Is he uh, evil for the sake of being evil? Just blind evil? I think a lot of the movies tried to explore this origin. And I think Rob Zombie was really interested in exploring what makes a serial killer a serial killer. And I just think it was kind of a lazy explanation. Well, what makes a serial killer growing up in a horrible family? I mean, like... We'll we'll get into it, but it's like not every kid who is grows up in a dysfunctional family ends up being a murderer. Yeah, and but it, ha- it has to be the perfect storm of everything. Like, um, we'll we'll talk about. I mean, we've talked about this before while while in the car together. It's like, oh, you know, like in psychology, you hear about kids with rad. Do you think? Michael had rad. Well, no, because Michael does have a firm attachment to his mother. He does have a firm attachment to his sister. So he doesn't have rad. He doesn't have an attachment to his sister, though. He saved his baby sister. He didn't kill her. Oh, his baby sister. Oh, I thought you meant Judith. No. Yeah, no, he hates Judith. He he protected. Boo. 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 Um. So and he loves his mom. Yeah. Well, his mom was nice to him, but you know, and that confuses me because, and I'm I'm skipping around because later when we when Machete is in the movie, Danny Trejo, he's all he's like, "I was good to you, Mikey. I was good to you." But are you good to him because you aided in his involuntary, like, which that's a whole other thing that I'm confused about. If Rob's not, and we'll get to it. I'm we're skipping ahead. Okay, let's so, go. Let's go in order. Okay, so. Um, Judith comes down, she kind of gets into like a argument with the, with that guy that's Ronnie, not, Ronnie, who's not the dad. Cause I said, what a effing weirdo. And everything's uh, like stroking and sex jokes and like sexual innuendos. And I will do this to you. I will do that to you. Like sexual threats. 
And I'm this, like, this is weird. Gross. And like gross. she's told to go get Michael. And then Michael, we get like Judas outside his door and is like, let's go. And he's like washing blood off his hands. We know he's he's killed his Elvis rat Elvis. He goes downstairs, tells his mom that Elvis died and he had to flush him. And mom believes him because she has no reason not to. Yeah. Um. And then they like they head to school, and would you believe the biggest bully at school is <laughs> Junie? Junie from the Spy, spy Kids. Kids, which Brie looks at me and goes, "Haddonfield has a spy kid in its high school." <laughs> and he's so mean, like so mean. And why does everybody in and Rob everything- Zombie's Haddon's Haddonfield talk like they're? horrible like they're just weird and horrible and like sexual deviants and he's like okay junie he like says some like horrible like things to you this. think she'll let me like do this if, if she sucks this and- if, you think if she, she'll suck this and i'll suck her this and i'm like oh. i was like geez rob <laughs> calling your butt I down like, i was like how old is michael like middle school I think he's supposed to be like 12, right? Like middle school? Who? What middle schooler? I'd wash your mouth off with soap if I was your mother. Well, they're in the high school. Junie comes out of Haddon. No, I'm thinking of a later scene. Never mind. So like, I'm like, geez, like I wash your mouth out with soap, young you man. You have to finish the game, Junie. Um, and it's just disgust- disgustingly vulgar. And it's like, we talked about this. It's like Rob Zombie was trying to be edgy. Yeah, I think he was trying to be so in the like 80s when like Howard Stern was becoming big, it was like the advent of the shock jock. And I think Rob Zombie is trying to do that where it's like, have we seen like in the 70s, we had the grindhouse films that were like gory and sexual and gross for the sake of being gory and sexual and gross and like trashy. And I think Rob Zombie was really trying to bring that back. And be edgy for the sake of being edgy. Like, ooh, people, like modern audiences aren't used to the grindhouse feel. Like, let's give them that back with these movies. I just don't think Halloween was the right franchise to tackle that with. Yeah, and we get then, like, the principal comes in, breaks up this fight between Michael and Junie. And then Dr. Loomis is in the, is there, um... The, the, principal the principal calls in Dr. Loomis and says, you know, a child psychologist because they're like, they found these pictures in Michael's book bag and it's like, like all dead, dead animals. animals and stuff. And his mom's like, this is not my- Michael couldn't have hurt these animals. He loves animals. And I thought like this kid isn't our silent Mike. It's not the kid. He's not yet. He is not yet the character of Michael Myers. Yeah, he's not there yet. And I do think we see that shift of him getting there, but it's weird, and I have questions about it, which we'll get to later. But um, I, I asked you this. You know, we're both educators. Is the school allowed to refer parents to like a psychiatrist? We teachers cannot make suggestions. Can the principal? The principal can encourage you to do something. So you can bring someone in and say, "Hey, this is so and so. We think like I don't know, know if this you person can bring, should get evaluated." I don't know if you can bring someone in, but I know you can suggest to a parent that the child should see the school's psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, and, like, and we, we talked a... about. Well, is this the 1970s? Because the rules might have been different at the time, but it's 
chronologically ambiguous. We don't know when this movie takes place. I mean, you should be able to. If, if you see, if you see that shit going on, like where he's drawing disturbing stuff, he's killing or like pictures animals. of dead animals in the locker. Like at that point, it's like, hey, we need. I I think I don't know what the law says. I, I'm not sure what well, the law says on that, that. Killing small animals is a precursor no, no, to well, human beings. Yes, we know that. But what the educators can do or what the school can do in terms of calling in a we, professional. I believe we can report it well, to CPS because we're mandatory reporters. Yeah. And that's something that you could report uh-huh. because it's disturbing. <clears throat> um, well, like what... Mom, mom is angry that she's there. She's like, "You're you're wasting my time. I'm here like every freaking five minutes." But even like she's, you know, cursing at the principal, and she's like, "Well, you gotta. Imagine, Why the fuck am I here?" Well, this is the the white trash family, and the kids always get into trouble. And mom's tired of being called down to the principal. Like she's tired of it. Michael stays in in class. He gets out at the end of the day. He follows Junie into the woods, and he beats him to death. He beats him with a big stick. To death. To death. Um, this kid is begging for his life. I, and I, it makes me cringe a little bit, because it's like, this is where he becomes... I saw Junie grow up in Spy Kids, I and know. now this? How did we get here? And it's just it's just gross. Um, I I don't like this version of of michael i don't think that this kid is pure evil as michael in in the canon has been often described to be um in the first movie dr loomis is very convinced this isn't a person he refers to michael as it and i just don't see that here like this is a little kid and i think we also have like the scene when he gets home, like, he loves his mom. Like, mom is the only, probably the only adult who has shown him unconditional love. But, okay, so can we talk about that uh, for and a second? Actually, because a child's I, relationship with their mother is one of the most important. And you'd think he would turn out okay because he has a strong, atta- like, secure attachment to his mom. Yeah, and I think that's something that plays out a lot more in the sequel. But... In, in thinking about this version of Michael, we do see later on Michael is a little vulnerable when he's an adult as well. Have we seen that level of vulnerability in Michael throughout the franchise? No, he's just been like a... Stoic. Yeah, yeah. stoic. I, I think this is the more human version of Michael. And I just don't know if I'm on board with it. Not that I think Michael should be like supernatural, I don't like that either. I just think Michael should be kind of like a force of nature mm-hmm. almost. And in this one, it's of course it's Halloween. Michael just wants to go trick or treating. Mom's like, I, I gotta work because mom's a stripper. It's nighttime. Love her. She's, she's gotta go and do her job, which is a respectable job. Like, whatever puts food on your, your table, like, go ahead. Gotta give Rob Zombie credit at the house. Ronnie is watching um, the movie The Thing from Another World from the 1950s, which is the same movie um, that Lindsay Wallace watches. I think Lindsay's watching that movie in the original Halloween, so it's a little callback. Um, I mean, I guess he did that. Yeah, I guess he did that. <laughs> uh, and then Judith is supposed to take Michael trick-or-treating, uh, but of course she doesn't. She invites her boyfriend over. They go upstairs to 
And the boyfriend's like nice to Michael. He's like, hey, sorry, squirt. <laughs> and Michael's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going <laughs> to so kill good. you so good. <laughs> and so we get, Michael goes out trick-or-treating by himself. He comes back. He's eaten loose candy corn. Well, and then we get this like montage of um, like Michael sitting s- sad on the stoop and he's eating his candy and while uh, Sherry Moon Zombie is stripping and at the Red Rabbit Lounge or whatever and it's like love hurts and I looked at Brie I go what a weird song choice for this movie and Rob Zombie is normally pretty good with like musical choices and I think of like the Devil's Rejects at the end with Freebird and like it's it's a good choice to have that song at the end of that movie but Right here, I don't think Love Hurts was the right fit for that yeah, scene. Maybe. Like, maybe not. Uh, stripping to Love Hurts while Michael sits sad on the stoop. What are we supposed to get out of that? Like, what do you, what message are you supposed to be relaying with Love Hurts? Or do you have that song in there just because it's a 1970s ballad? I don't know, but... So Michael gets home. He's like sitting at the like the table with. His- oh, she tells she mom also tells Michael, and I think this is where it switches for Michael. Um, before she leaves, she said, "Tomorrow will be better." And I tomorrow think tomorrow we start like we a start new. new. Yeah, and so Michael kind of he's like, "Okay, okay, I we'll, got it. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll start new tomorrow." Sure. Um, so he's eating his candy corn all loose. He's he's to which I told Bree I was like in the 1970s, which is where I assume this is supposed to take place. They just put like loose candy. Yeah, corn did in your people bucket? just like throw candy corn randomly into people's Halloween buckets? I I don't know because this is before the this fun size candy bar, isn't it? I have to well chronologically ambiguous. I don't know when this movie um, takes place, but and then he's like sitting there and he has like an idea. He takes out the duct tape, the knife. He duct tapes Ronnie to his like chair because he's sleeping. And he slits his throat. Mm-hmm. Um, very quick. Um, also very gory. They then say later that Ronnie had like other stab mark, like stabbings in his torso and his face, but I don't think we saw that. No. And then we have the boyfriend and Judith. They just did the, like... The do. The do. She's like, go get me something. There's so much nudity in this movie. Oh, yeah. There's a crazy amount of nudity in yes. this movie. And then she's like, go get me something to drink. And he goes down. And Michael, quiet as a fucking mouth. That's something else I was going to bring up, too. So quiet that you don't even hear him creaking. This comes house up behind. Is so old. This I have to assume the way that this house is destroyed later on in the movie. But it's old as that hell. That it's really old and it's got to be. It's all wood, so it's got to be creaky and crickety. And he so quietly goes behind this the boyfriend while he's like just chilling, sitting and sitting down, and he bludgeons him to death with what, a baseball that, bat. I, I think I feel most bad for the boyfriend. He didn't be- do nothing. He didn't do nothing. He just like. He he's there with his girlfriend, and then he goes down to eat some cold cuts, and he dies. Yeah, and we know as 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 an Italian family, Brie, you know how important the late night cold cuts are. Oh, yeah, it's it's everything. So to interrupt a man while he eats his cold cuts at to night any, to interrupt anyone while they're eating their late night cold cuts, rude. I know, rude. Um, 
then he goes up and like his sister's facing the other way and he's like going and stroking like her leg a little bit and he puts on the the michael myers signature signature mask that the boyfriend had brought around and she's like what are you doing, Michael? She starts like slapping him in the face, and I'm I like, "I wish you would have acted that scene." Because, what are you doing, Michael? What are you doing, Michael? <laughs> Get out of here, you you freak! We have now cast Brie and Rob Zombie's Judith Myers and role. Honestly, Michael was probably thinking like, "Bitch, shut up, ho for real," and like this. Yeah, you wrote stand, that down. <laughs> you wrote those exact words down, and he kind of becomes more like cat and mouse yeah like torturous almost yeah because she like runs away and then he gets her again in the in the hallway and then he goes and picks up his little sister and he sits on the well he's like i mean he tortures judith like she's crawling on the ground he's not stabbing he's slashing her back so he knows he's not gonna kill her but he's hurting her and i don't know does michael do that in in other movies maybe in halloween kills we talked about this where it's like later on in these modern halloween movies where um or the most recent halloween movies where michael is still brutal but it doesn't seem as though he's torturous you know what i mean and it, it it's it's just a little strange to me and you know he grabs boo you think like he's gonna like hurt her but he doesn't takes her in well okay he's still wearing the mask too and i was like so i guess what i have to say that is is, like good about this movie and what i do like some of the shots in the movie of like panning over to michael wearing the mask and like being an intimidating force and just kind of standing there is spooky like it's scary like there's a scene later on in the movie where Michael is chasing Laurie and she goes back to the Doyle house and um, she locks the door and the kids are like, what's going on? What's going on? And then you see Michael's like mask out of the top window of the door. And I was like, Oh, that's scary. That is scary. Um, So he, he grabs his sister and they sit, he sits on the porch and mom comes home. And she's like, what's going on now? You know? And, then you start hearing like the the sirens in the background. You're like, "Who called the police?" Yeah, that's what I said. I was, and like, I was like, "Who called the Who called the cops?" Like, maybe, Everyone's dead in the house. I'm like, maybe it was Michael. Why would he do that? I don't know. But the the police come and stuff, and Michael's taken away and put into the sanatorium. So yeah, and then we get kind of the second half of the prequel portion of the movie where it's now child michael a year later he they said oh it's been one of the most lengthy and expensive trials in the state i don't know why right he was found guilty i mean he was pretty clearly guilty he he murdered his family um maybe they were pleading insanity maybe um and then we get um machete yes machete is here two characters from spy kids show up in this movie i was like oh my gosh it's two characters from. well i looked at um when Junie pops up for the first time in the movie, I said, well, isn't... I was, like, thinking about the Spy Kids franchise. I go, isn't Machete his uncle? 
And Bree's like, yeah. And then Machete shows up later in the movie as a janitor. Danny Trejo's in the movie as the janitor at Smith's Grove who befriends Michael. And I was like, Machete is in here doing an inside job. He's in here for the long game. He's going to get his revenge on Michael for killing Junie. It's going to happen. So we're in the sanatorium, Smith's Grove, and... Loomis is now assigned to Michael. Yeah, so like, they're like a, a, a team. And I, I told Bria, I was like, I guess the, what the cool thing is about the prequel, and maybe you disagree with me, is I don't think we've ever seen that relationship play out between Michael and Loomis. And it's cool to get that, like, child Michael and Loomis kind of forming the relationship that they have. Because when we are introduced to Loomis in the beginning of the first movie, the original, is just like I was with Michael when he was a kid, but we never got any of that relationship. So we're to assume that there is a bond there, that there is some kind of relationship that they formed in the past. And Halloween's novelization, the original movie's novelization, goes into that relationship a little bit more. Um, and they do take, I think Rob Zombie takes a little bit from that novelization in this movie, especially... Um, Later on, after the flashback, when Loomis is leaving and he's like, I, there's nothing else I can do for you. Like, I feel like you're my best friend. That's from the Halloween novelization. Well, I think it's very important. We have this, like, mental breakdown from Michael. where he's Well, asking, Michael doesn't remember. Yeah, where he's asking his mom, like, when can I come home? And mom's like, well, you can't come home. Well, we have to talk to your doctors. Yeah, we have to talk to the doctors and like maybe soon, who knows. And he is kind of losing it being there talking to Loomis all the time. Because he doesn't remember He doesn't know what he's there for. He doesn't know why he's there. And I think... And Loomis is pretty clear. He's like, you killed all those people. Like, you did a horrible thing. And I think Michael starts making like masks, like paper mache masks and starts wearing those around. And, like, you really see, like, this mental deterioration of Michael. To which I asked you, I'm like, okay, what's Rob Zombie trying to say The places like this? this make people worse, not better. Yeah. Are we supposed to assume that a place that's supposed to be rehabilitational and to help people is making them worse? Because I don't know if that, is that a correct, like, notion of, of what he's trying to say here? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't know what his whole thing Would is. Michael have... I asked you, I'm like, would Michael have been better if he wasn't locked up in the sanitarium as a child? Is that what Rob Zombie's supposed to say? Like, does that make a killer? I mean, I don't I don't really know, but, like, it, in several points of this movie, I'm like, is Michael the only person here? Like, everywhere he is, the, he's the only one there. else. We don't... And I don't know if it was just, like, we can't afford extras anymore, because there's a couple of scenes where I'm like, is Michael the only person in Haddonfield right now? Because like this, and I know why, like in the original Halloween, the streets were all cleared. It's because they couldn't afford extras. Like John Carpenter in the original was like, no, we're not doing extras. Like it's, it's easier if the streets are just clear and everyone's at home. Um, but here it's, this is a studio budgeted movie. I would assume that they would have had the money for extras because there are certain parts in the second half of the movie where Michael's just standing around and if I'm anybody else, it's, he's much scarier than he, like, and more intimidating than he was in the original movie. And I would just be like, if I was a resident of Haddonfield and I saw him just looming in places, I'd be like, I'm calling the police. 
I we're mean, calling somebody. That's not normal. Then we get like Loomis and Mom are both eating in the cafeteria with Michael, and Mom's like, "I I gotta go." And Loomis is like, I'll walk you out. And so this nurse comes in to kind of watch Michael um, until everyone gets back. And then Michael kind of just like loses it after she shows a picture of him and his sister. And he he kills the nurse. Um, And the people are like running back because like the alarms are going off because obviously they see this on the cameras cameras and Loomis and his mom come running in and his mom is like screaming like like he did it again he did it again here she's actually seeing it as as opposed to the just the aftermath Mm -hmm. um mom goes home and she kills herself yeah with the baby there too so that kind of ends our prequel portion of the movie I don't know. Let, so let's break it down a little bit. And general thoughts on that prequel portion of the movie. Like, what did you think about it? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? I mean, I wasn't a big fan of the prequel part of the movie. I don't think Michael needed it. It's a large part of the movie. It's, it's like, like pretty much the first half of the movie. It, and the next part of the movie is almost a shot for shot remake, but just zombified. I mean, he yeah, has zomberted. It's zomberted. Like, it's... It's almost the same movie, but what Rob Zombie's little touches in it. And we get like it opens up. The second half opens up with like Michael and he looks rough. Well, no. okay. I made this note as I looked at it and it's like 15 years later and Michael is just this Hulk looming over everyone he's so tall he he's like, so big like six, five. he's so big and i'm like what the fuck are they feeding him in this insane asylum that he grows up to be that because that kid was a little like chunker <laughs> in the prequel and then he grows up to be that like what is he eating like is he working out in there how does somebody get to be that big in a place like that and I told Brie, I'm like, is this the most physically intimidating version of Michael Myers that we've seen recently? Definitely. Because, like, he's just like a normal dude in the first couple. And then number four, he's more like a football player, like Burley. Number five, he's a little bit too thin. Number six, he's got a bedonk. And that's my favorite iteration. That's my favorite one, yeah. <laughs> he's got a fat ass. And um, H2O. He's kind of normal, but he looms a little bit more. And then Resurrection, I don't know, Buster Rhymes, whatever. But this one, he's definitely the tallest and most like hulking version of Michael Myers that we've seen. Um, he's so big. Um, in this one, we have Loomis saying like, "I can't do this anymore, Michael." And He's I'm basically like, saying, I've given up on you. Yeah, and I thought, how appropriate. He exploits Michael to write his book and then leaves him. My, yeah, so Loomis has written a book about Michael Myers and his treatment of Michael Myers. And it's definitely supposed to be like him exploit. Like he gets a lot of criticism from exploiting Michael Myers um, and, and like this child. So I, I, it, this is again where I have to think about well, what did Zombie, what was he trying to do here? Because um, I think that most of these characters are pretty unlikable. 
And especially like now when we're going to get into the girls and like meeting the characters of Haddonfield in modern day, Brie and I talked about it. Like when we were watching the movie, I was like, I don't like any of these characters. Loomis is unlikable in the sense of like, well, he's exploiting Michael Myers. Whereas Loomis in the original movie had almost a one track mind. Stop Michael Myers. Yeah. And we have like this before we get into like the almost the, the whole remake, we have this little thing where he's getting moved. Um we see more of like in this, the actual moving the actual uh, moving whereas in the original it's the aftermath of the moving. Yeah, so he um is with a bunch of police officers. He gets into this one room and he's, he he plays them essentially. Yeah, he's chained up it's like as soon as he's locked in a room with these people, he breaks the chain. He literally hulks out of the chain. He hulks out of the chains, kills everyone. Where there's the female police officer and she he does something to her throat and yeah, I'm like, what did she, he stab her? He throat snatches I think, her. Yeah, you said throat snatch and I was like, okay. And then he does this to somebody else too off yeah, screen. So and I'm like, when did that become his move? He machete sees it and it's like michael mikey mikey Mikey, get back i was so good to you i was good to you mikey mikey and he's like michael is like beating him up and then he puts his head in water he starts burping blood and i'm like that's not how this works you don't think no well i mean he threw danny trejo across the building so much blood coming out of his mouth i just don't think burping it up yeah yeah um and then that's kind of like where we end there because well, then it moves. He drops a TV on Danny Trejo's head, Yeah, and that's where too. we end. And I was like, man, this guy was good to you, Mikey, and you gave him the worst of it all. So I guess I'm just, like, confused on what Zombie is trying to say with Michael. Is he vulnerable? Is he, like, is he just a crazy dude? Is he out for his family? I, I don't know what his, Michael's motivation is. What's his motivation? What's his motivation? Like... If you th- if you look at the original Halloween nineteen seventy eight, what's Michael's motivation? Um, go back home. Go back home, and then he fixates on Lori. That's his motivation. And this one, he has like three different motivations. It's like get out, go home, find Lori, um, and also like kill everybody along the way. Um, Assemble the suit. I guess. Uh- <laughs> And then we kind of get like he goes and gets the suit by killing like Joe Grizzly. Yeah. Of which I'm I'm saying it again. I think Rob Zombie writes I think what he, his favorite thing was about this was writing all of these side characters because between this movie and especially in the next one, you're going to see it. Some of these side characters are like weirder and like crazier than our actual main characters where like some of the dialogue that somebody like Joe Grizzly says or somebody like Ronnie says is like crazier and weirder and grosser than anything Michael Myers does in this movie. And then we get like, he he assembles his outfit and then we finally get to see Lori. What's become of Lori? Um, I don't understand like just the... Can I can I read you a line from Joe Grizzly? Sure. That I wrote down. Well, I didn't write down the whole line, but he he talks about his poops, and <laughs> he's taking a poop, and Michael like kills him while at, after he's doing it. But Joe Grizzly is like very full of himself, and he's like, "I gotta drop this load," and <laughs> he's like, Michael's knocking on the door, and Joe Grizzly's like, "I gotta drop this beast in peace," and Michael's still knocking, and he's like. 
listen up. If you don't let me finish this, you're going to be one sorry a-hole. <laughs> and guess... Michael, like, murdles him and I takes know. the suit. <laughs> so I just think seeing what happens to Lori, um, she gets to go be in, like, a middle-class family. But even this middle-class family, Lori comes down and she makes, like, a disgusting... Immediately makes sex jokes. And it's like, these are your parents. This is like a middle class home. This is inappropriate. No, it makes it's gross. And this is where I would argue that Rob Zombie doesn't understand the characters because where we're supposed to have like nice preen. Lori is almost like a prude, right? Like that's what she's supposed to be made out to be in the 1978 version where everyone's like, Oh, Lori, like Ben Tramer. And she's like, oh, I don't, don't want to talk to Ben Tramer. Oh, they do Ben and, Tramer dirty. Oh, my God. They do him so dirty in this movie. Um, the, And they're like, Lori, Ben Tramer. I don't want to talk to Ben Tramer. And she's like all nervous. And she's like, I got my, I got to study. I got to do this book work. And she's kind of like very timid and shy and like very studious. And in this, I feel like she's the complete opposite. She's charismatic. She's ditzy almost. And she's like immediately making sex jokes. Like Laurie doesn't do that's not Laurie's character. This is a completely different characterization of Laurie Strode. And this is where I'm like, I don't think Rob Zombie understood the characters. I think Rob Zombie's version of these characters is everybody's turned up to a sexual deviant or vulgar or characters are turned up to eleven and nobody can be this like very nuanced, silent, you know, um, kind of studious character like Lori was in the original and Lori smokes weed in the original but like still i know you know what i mean and i that's like where i this is where i stopped um writing notes because after this point i'm, I'm looking like, at your sheet right now there's like four bullet points um because after this it's kind of like it's the same movie it's almost the same movie. the way that the beginning when laurie is walking with tommy the way it's shot is almost identical and like of course way. this laurie is less likable this tommy is less like well she's meaner to tommy mm-hmm. like and it's it's this like playful banter that they have where in the 1970s version she of Halloween, moms him. she moms him yeah she's oh why do you think that you know um oh you really like you you come on tommy you can't believe in the boogeyman things like that whereas laurie's like tommy you're an idiot for believing in the boogeyman and also i i noted with this interaction with tommy it's like she had to say i'm your babysitter which in the other one you didn't you kind of knew already mm-hmm. because of how they interacted with each other. You're like you didn't need to say, Tommy, I'm your babysitter. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's it's one of those things where mm. do you think the audience is dumb sort of <laughs> yeah. thing, or it's like do you have to spell it out totally for the audience? And then we get her friends. So like next are like in the library just like chilling. Which they take. So they change this from. Well, now they're in the library and Laurie sees Michael across the street. Instead of in class. Instead of in class. And I think that's such an important distinction and difference. I think it's a better way for her to see it. You think that's a better way? Yeah. I would disagree. I think that her being in class and talking, like the teacher talking about fate and like Laurie uh, having that characterizing moment of her answering the questions about fate. I guess selfishly we get to meet her friends more. We get to meet her friends more, but who are we more mo- unlikable than the characters in the original? Well, I and I think that's kind of the magic of the original movie is the way Deborah Hill wrote the the girls and their dialogue. 
we get a lot of scenes of them interacting and just like shooting the shit and talking to each other like normal people would. And that's what makes those characters likable and interesting is that they feel real. And we get those scenes where they're interacting with each other mm-hmm. and they're talking like real teenage girls would talk. And I think this is definitely a man wrote the dialogue. This is definitely these- a man wrote the dialogue because now Lori, Annie, and Linda are all sexual deviants and, and I, they're all like i you know i said this thing about like showing my crotch to the cheerleaders and like uh, immediately I, I when we meet linda like, she's talking about this vulgar story i want to like women speak vulgarly different than how men speak vulgarly yeah and i feel like that wasn't how women speak that's well, how men speak how men think you can't women you would can't speak. write women teenage female characters from a man's perspective and say like well my friends and i talk about dick and fart jokes so i guess like women do the same (laughs) and we we just we don't yeah it's like a different it's a different dynamic so to have like somebody like rob zombie who is writing vulgarity for men say well these teenage girls are going to talk similarly it's just not the way that it rolls um so like and like Annie and Linda are talking about like, oh, you want some of like the youngs? Like they're being real, like horribly, horribly perverted, <laughs> and that's just not how those characters were. Like Linda is ditzy in the nineteen seventies version, but she's not like hypersexual. Yeah. You know, like Annie is kind of a dick to Laurie. But you can tell that they're good friends. You know, it, it, not everybody is horrible to one another. Yeah. And this one, everyone's horrible to each other. Yeah. And like, why, why, if I lived in Rob Zombie's imagination and like his world, I don't know how anybody is friends with anybody because they all are terrible to one another and everyone speaks horribly. I, I don't know how anybody has any relationships with one another. So, I, I mean, I just wrote, like, Linda is so vulgar. In the original version, he's like, oh, my God, we have three new cheers to learn. In this version, she immediately talks about, a, like, a sexual story. I told the coach, why why don't we just go down and show our, like, our vaginas or something? <laughs> yeah. Because they were doing the same old tired cheers. And then, would you believe the bitch, like called my parents and it's like i'm just gonna twist my hair and say dad i would never do that and they're like oh ever since your parents divorced you've had your dad wrapped around your finger and i'm like i'm so glad you remember that like (laughs) verbatim because i did not and but that so shows the difference between those two versions of the character where linda is ditzy and she's like oh god i can't believe we have three new cheers to learn we have so much to do where this one it's like I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's like I got in trouble. I'm a, and it's like, but like I can get out of it because like I'm an asshole. I, it's just a different characterization, and it it's not Halloween. As I just said the three girls aren't likable. It's all like bitch and slut, and they're like calling each other those names, like oh, bitch, wait up, and oh my god, you're such a slut, and like things like that. Where I'm. Brie, is that how women talk? I, I don't. I could not tell you one time where I called another person a slut. <laughs> I, 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 I just don't. You don't do it. I guess I'm like I don't call like your friends. Like you wouldn't refer to each other as like in everyday conversation. 
so when we're joking, I'll be like, like oh, you're you're joking super, around. you super slut. But, yeah. um, but you don't say like, like everything. You're being such a slut. Yeah. Like, no. It's, ugh, God, it's just so weird. But, um, once we get to this like second half where it is the remake, everything moves so fast. Yes, it's like the original on like roller skates. Yes, we. I, I think we lose a lot of those scenes with the girls interacting with one another, uh, Loomis and Brackett interacting with each other. We lose a lot of that characterization. So we immediately go from meeting Linda, Annie, and Lori to, well, now, and now it's nighttime in Haddonfield. Now it's nighttime in Haddonfield. Um, Whereas in the original, we get Lori and Annie we don't driving get, around. We don't and, get the Annie babysitting... Um, Lindsay. Lindsay and all the stuff happening at Lindsay's house. Right. It happens at the Myers house. Yeah. Like things are, are definitely changed around and just expedited, I think, to to get the story across in a quicker way. And I don't think that that's generally the best idea because we miss out on all of those character building moments that we have um, through the movie. So it moves really fast, and I was like, man, there is nobody in this neighborhood. Like, these people are just walking around. Nobody is in the neighborhood. Michael's just like, he, Michael moves from place to place to Quickly. place to place, like, super quick. He goes from house to house to house to house. And I guess we'll just, like, kind of plow through the rest of the movie because it's kind of uneventful. I mean, it's the same movie. It's almost the same movie, except it's the ending has changed a little bit. Yeah. So you get first Linda and Bob are in the house. They go to the Myers house. They go to the Myers house. Yeah. And they get killed similarly to um, Judith and her boyfriend where where Bob goes down to get a beer. beer. It's almost the same dialogue too, where it's like, Get me a beer, doofus. Yeah, and so they are the first ones who get it. Bob dies similarly to almost how he shot, dies, almost shot for shot in the of uh, the first, the original, mm-hmm. and then he puts on the the, the ghost the costume, costume yep. and kills Lynn, like very similarly. And I can't remember in but this more, one was Lori on the phone no. with Linda. Okay, so that's so didn't more, happen. but more. I guess I would say more nudity in this. I, she she went full frontal. Yeah, like. There was, I mean, I we saw it all. <laughs> so, um, I was surprised at that. I mean, this movie is graphic. Yeah, it's graphic. And uh, then we get Lindsay like is dropped off with Lori, and we meet Paul for the and first we have time. Paul, like Paul, Paul never shows up in the other movies, but we finally meet Paul. And they get, oh, Paul, pretty bad. They get, they get it pretty bad. They get it pretty bad. Yeah, Paul Paul gets it, and then... He's, like, strung up. Annie hanging, survives. Which is good. Yeah, Annie survives in this one, but Michael kind of lures Lori over using there using her. Annie as bait. Um, and there's some cool shots of Michael just, like, lingering around and being very quiet, and, like, that scene where Lori sees Annie, like, all bloody on the floor and then goes to the other room to call the police... And then Michael shuts the door and he was like behind the door the entire time. Like, that's kind of cool. I thought that was decent. I, I found the amount of times Michael broke through a door. Oh, my excessive. God. So, I mean, he breaks through everything in this movie. And I I burst out laughing the other times in these movies when he broke through doors. Like in Halloween 2, when he broke through the glass door 
I was like, okay, I can believe that. It's a glass door. And Halloween Resurrection, when he busts through the mental hospital door, I was like, okay, that's a little... Um, how strong is this this guy, this, really? This version of Michael has to be the strongest. He's got to be the strongest one. He's definitely the most physically intimidating. He has to be at least 6'5". Yeah. And he bursts through so many freaking doors, but it's not like how he bursts through doors in the other movies where he just like walks through them. No, he like Michael like it. shoulder blocks the door, which is like how a normal person would break through a door. And I've broken through a door before. You have done that. Um, and you've used your shoulder, right? I know. I, I use my foot. I think the easiest way to break through a door oh. is your foot because you can get a lot of power. A lot. Most of your strength is in your legs. Um, mm-hmm. They got to be strong to hold you up. Yeah, that's true. So I've tried shoulder blocking a door. It didn't work. But as soon as I kicked it in, oh, it worked. I've, I'm sure everyone is hearing Kaido just, sh- oh my God, be a horrible terror under our table right now and okay. shake and scratch and hit our mics. Uh, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. He's been good the um, entire time. So he breaks through in, a, in like a bunch of doors and he well, like so, tries to pull so Lori- the old like unlock the door, unlock the tricky. So Lori ru- sees Michael runs through the neighborhood, back to Tommy and Lindsay at the house. We get that, oh, uh, Tommy, unlock the door, unlock the door. And they get in, and Tommy's like, what's going on? And she's like, go upstairs, go upstairs. And they lock the door. And as soon as Tommy and Lindsay are like, what's going on? You then see Michael like in the window. And everyone screams. And everyone screams. And I'm like, I'm so glad they put that in there because Tommy, in the original movie, Tommy and Lindsay like didn't know what was going on at first until they saw him by the stairs and this one i think the the threat is almost immediate like now we see this like horribly terrifying person in this mask and now we know holy shit like we got to get out of here and i think that was like to me that's like the scariest thing no okay we missed a scene and i think that this is probably the scariest thing living in the suburbs this is probably the scariest thing to me what the Strodes getting killed. <gasps> that was scary. That was scary, dude. So the Strodes getting killed where, where Michael Lori, just enters the- Where Lori says goodbye to her parents almost immediately. Michael just walks up to the dad, kills him, brings him inside. Well, it was like then the- So when he, Michael brings him inside- the, He's already dead. The guy's already dead and Michael just stares at Lori's mom and drops the dad's body- and I'm like, could you imagine, like, put yourself in the shoes of Lori's mom at that point? And I have no idea who this man is. Well, in a horrifying mask, just came in and dropped the dead body of your husband in in the house and just stares at you. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, living in the suburbs, that is terrifying. And they're like, Loomis is like, you got to call the Strodes because mm-hmm. he can't find her. Yeah. And then the Strodes aren't answering, so they're on their way to the Strodes, and that's when Lori makes a 911 call. Right. And that's when Loomis is like, he's found her. He's found. The evil. The evil. But he's not doing the Donald Pleasance yeah. like. But he found ah, her. The evil. He's found her, and that was like what they were worried about. So they're then the police show up, um, but they show up at the, um, the Doyle's house. Mm-hmm. Um, not the where the kid the kids have already left, but Michael 
Um, no. Oh, no, no, no. no they're we're not in there the, yet. They're in, they've locked themselves in the bathroom. And Michael's out there. Michael's and, in the house. And, and he's but in, Michael is like crazy nimble for how big he is in this movie. And the police are like, you have to open the door. And she's, Lori's kind of like, oh, I don't know. The kids are like, no, don't do it. Like, don't do it, Lori. He's out there. As soon as she goes to go and open the door, um, Michael kills the police officer mm-hmm. against the door and then breaks through the door. I, what do you think about the amount of grunts that Michael makes? In I mean, this movie? it makes sense because he's like, <clears throat> he's um, he's been quiet for like fifteen years or so, so he probably can't. This is the most talk. noise maybe Michael's made throughout the franchise. Yeah, uh, but so Michael leaves the kids. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want to do he anything. Grabs Lori and he, he walks out. Yeah, with her. he grabs Lori and he walks out and he brings her to the basement or like the cellar of the Myers house. And this is where we see that very vulnerable thing. This is where it differs a little bit from the original. We see this vulnerability of Michael Myers where instead of like torturing her or killing her, he presents her with the picture of him and her as kids when she's a baby. And he like gets down to his knees. He takes his mask off and he like is very, I keep using the word vulnerable, but he is very vulnerable. So Lori and he's like, my sister. But she's like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And we like we Michael could assume, talk. We know he knows how to talk. We have to assume that Lori's parents never told her that who she was. No, never, never. And so she has no idea. What she he's has no idea about. what's going on. And even though Michael is like presenting himself as like a peacemaker <laughs> to to her, she stabs him. She finds she gets the knife and yeah. she stabs him and then she gets he out. Kind of comes after. Comes okay. after he breaks through more walls and they're in the Myers house. Oh no, we get to the pool. Yeah, she falls down into the. She pool. falls down into the. I pool. said, "Where's the ladder? Where's the stairs?" Yeah. Then Michael Michael looms uses over, the stairs. Uh, Michael looms over the side of the pool and I I looked at Anthony. I said, "You know, we really freaking sick right now." Michael got on a skateboard and skated into the bottom like of the pool. like an ollie into the pool. Um, and But he walks down the stairs because there are the stairs. Yeah, I mean, it, I think the movie would have been elevated a little bit more had he used a skateboard. Right? I was like, oh, you want, Rob, Robert, you want to be more edgy right there you within the edgy. Let him use a skateboard, dude. Um, and then we kind of get, this is like the last like little bit of the movie. The last little bit of the movie. Loomis finds Michael and, Michael! And choo, then, choo, choo. well, he looks back at Loomis and then just like ignores him and keeps walking towards Lori. So Loomis shoots him a few times and Michael grabs, collapses. He grabs Lori. They go to his car and then Michael comes up to the car, snatches her out the window. Yeah. And then like brain squeezes Loomis. the great Kali. The third time we mentioned the great Kali on this podcast, I I have a feeling he, I'm going to mention the Great Kali on every single episode. And moving he's like, forward. he brain squeezes him. He brain squeezes and him I like said, the Great Kali did to Rey Mysterio. Yeah, like you're like, juicer. oh, like the Great Kali. I went, yes, but he is the Great Mikey. The Great Mikey. <laughs> and he brain squeezes Loomis and then goes after Lori again. Now, Lori is moving throughout the house, the Myers house, and she makes her way into like the ceiling almost and it's like he's like banging up the ceiling and she's trying to like avoid he's got it. like a two by four and he's like shoving it up like stabbing upwards into the ceiling and he's tearing this fucking house apart and she ends up falling through the ceiling to the to the into a room mm-hmm. that that's and different she's like her. all bl- she's all bloodied and like messed up and she's got the gun 
Loomis's gun. And Michael like confronts her, and they're at the top of the house, and Michael just sprints at her and like tackles her off of the balcony and onto the ground. And now Michael and Lori are laying there, and Lori's on top of Michael. Michael's uh, asleep, I guess. Uh, he's knocked out, and Lori is got the gun, and she's pointing it into Michael's face, and she click. And there's nothing, there's no round. Click, there's no round. And then she's like about to do it again. We hear the sirens in the back. And then Michael grabs her by the hand and was Lori Dupree. Oh my gosh. What does she, I'm asking you, what does she do? I don't remember. Oh, she shoots him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) It's the end of the movie. (laughs) It's like, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, she shoots him in the face, like the bullet goes off and she shoots him in the face and she starts screaming chaotically as the Halloween music plays in the background, the police sirens. And then that's that's the end of the movie. That's Brie. the movie. Um, Directed, written by Robert Zombert. Almost a shot for shot remake in, that in, second the, se- half, in the second yeah. half. Until you get to like the very end and then Rob Zombie kind of takes some liberties with it. Which, I mean, it was... It was a- so can I tell you about um, very quickly what the writers of that Taking Shape book deem as maybe the worst decision to ever be made in a Halloween movie? What? And it's maybe even more of a sin than Michael is his own niece's father what? Uh, or whatever it is. Um, so a little a little trigger warning i suppose uh in the uncut version the studio made rob zombie cut this out of the movie and rob zombie fought a little bit for this scene and it makes it into the director's cut um there is a and and trigger warning there's a rape scene um so in the uncut version um there was a rape scene in the sanitarium and uh, from what the writers of that book said, Rob Zombie fought a little bit for that scene, and he ended up getting nixed on it. And they were like, "Oh my god, this is maybe like the worst decision that they could have done for a Halloween movie." Is like, I I don't think that those scenes are ever necessary in movies, right? Like, in I've watched the uncut version, like it's pretty graphic, and it it makes me consider like, why? Like, why would you put that? in there especially in a halloween movie like it doesn't make sense you know you know what i mean what do you think i mean i don't think those scenes are ever necessary they're never they're never necessary so obviously you know um the uncut version also has a bunch of different things in it um there's a lot of deleted scenes and a lot of very unnecessary stuff and i think we're we're fair to be critical of Rob Zombie, um, a- as this movie has shown us, overall, Brie, having watched the movie, do you think Rob Zombie understood the characters? Absolutely not. No, I don't think so either. I think Rob Zombie did what he wanted. He he wanted to do what he wanted. He wanted to make his own movie, and but they they said you need to have this these beats in here. And and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know, I Rob Zombie probably would have had more success had he made this movie with different characters. Yeah. Right? Like, and if he didn't use 
Michael Myers and Laurie Strode and Dr. Loomis, I think he would have had a bit more success with that. So I, I, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add to our, our conversation about this movie? I mean, this movie gets one. Oh, brother. Uh, that was a more elongated. Oh, brother. than our past. Oh, brothers. This movie gets a, just a heavy sigh from me because I love the franchise so much that this movie just doesn't feel like it is a Halloween movie. It feels gross. It feels nasty. It feels vulgar. Um, and I don't know. That's just not what Halloween to me is. And I don't think the characters are what makes them likable and what makes them these iconic characters. So, Bree, I, I, I suppose I have to ask you. Does this go on your list of the top 100? Absolutely not. Does it get an honorable mention? Absolutely not. Does it get a dishonorable mention? Mm, probably. With the amount of vulgarity in it. Yeah. For the sake vulgarity for the sake of vulgarity is never my favorite, so it gets a dishonorable mention. Ooh, ooh. The the dark the darkest smudge for a movie is mm-hmm. Bree's dishonorable mention. And I'm like, okay, and we don't I, like we don't like to I'm be not, like super anti. I'm not, I'm not conservative, at, but I am kind of prudish, I guess. I I don't I don't I don't like it. I don't like like swearing just to swear. Um, nudity it, just for the sake of nudity. It's nice when like when you when you're vulgar in a movie when it bears weight or when you're doing it like to as a punchline I, to a joke. It's maybe different. Where's that? What's the movie called? The one. The House of a Thousand Corpses, mm-hmm. where like the family is just so gross, and like the theme is just the whole movie is just so gross, and that's that what vulgarity I was like, makes sense. And th- yeah, that's what that I meant movie. earlier when I was talking about the Devil's Rejects, and I was saying like it works for that because that's what the movie is supposed to be, and that's who these characters are. Where this is, these aren't who the characters are, it, and so it's just weird. Yeah, it just makes it it's just a weird take, and I I just didn't like it. I didn't like it. So no, for me. It does not make it to the top 100. It doesn't? Does it get an honorable mention? It does not get an honorable mention. Does it get a dishonorable mention? No, I don't think it gets a dishonorable mention for me. I didn't hate it that much, but whereas I enjoyed Halloween Resurrection more on our on our I enjoyed this it, movie less. I enjoyed this movie less than I remembered it. Um, and it, I think it might be because we've been watching all of these movies in rapid succession that I'm like, in tune with the franchise a bit more and like i haven't i have an expectation for these movies and this one didn't meet that expectation for me where it was like i i I have an idea in mind of what i would like out of these movies and to me uh, it it didn't hit that mark um so i guess that's it brie um anything else you got to add no, that's it. What do you, uh, Robert Zombert, good director? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. he's my he's my guy on the uh, I hate him, but I also kind of like him list. He he confuses me and intrigues me in in the same way. So I think that will be about it for us. I think we'll be signing off. So. If you would like to follow us on any of our social media pages for additional content, you can follow us on Instagram, review underscore pod. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GLDTV1. You can email us at reviewpodcast1 at gmail.com. 
Uh, Brie, where can we find you on social media? Nowhere. Don't perceive me. Don't don't follow. <laughs> Unfollow Brie. Unfollow me. Unfollow. Unless her. you want like a ton of like just first my wordle wordle success um, from <laughs> or you want to know like my opinions on the state of the world. Um, if you want to know what I'm eating for dinner. Uh, that's all you'll get on Twitter from me. If you want, if you want uh, impressions of Pinocchio from oh, Father, when am I <laughs> going to leave and be on my own? Guillermo uh... del Toro's Pinocchio with the very oddly cast version of Pinocchio. Um. Anyway, you can find us there, and you can also find us review podcast anywhere you find your podcast, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere. Uh, make sure to follow us, email us if you have any questions or you want us to review any movies in the future. Or you and, got some good place to eat. Oh, yeah. If you got some good food recommendations, we will also take that as well. Yummy, yummy. Uh, and we'll be signing off next week. What do we got on the agenda for next week, Brie? We got Jurassic Park. No. We got... No. <laughs> I don't know what anything is. <laughs> we have uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween Two oh, on the agenda. You're making for me next watch week. that again. I don't. That one's a little bit. Uh, I don't know. You might find that it is a different vibe than okay. than this movie. So okay. we'll see how it goes. Um, again, I'm Brianna and I'm Anthony, and you are listening to the Review Podcast, and we'll be signing off. The Review Podcast. Yeah.